to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. My guest today is Brian Pilecki. He's a psychologist who spent more than 20 years studying psychedelics and how they may actually improve some mental health conditions. Brian happens to practice in Oregon, a state where psychedelic-assisted therapy is about to become legal. That means in the very near future, therapists may be giving their clients magic mushrooms in the therapy office in an effort to address their depression, anxiety, substance abuse problems, or other issues. Some of the things Brian talks about on the show are the difference between therapeutic use and recreational use of psychedelics, how they're used in treatment, and the risks and benefits of using them. Make sure to stick around for the therapist's take at the end of the episode. It's the part of the show where I break down my guest's mental strength strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Brian Pilecki on how psychedelics are going to be used to treat mental health issues. Brian Pilecki, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Hi, Amy. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Florida, and we aren't quite as progressive as Oregon is. And so I want to hear about psychedelic-assisted therapy and all the things that are going on over there. Can you explain to us what's happening in Oregon? Sure. So Oregon is at the forefront of uh, the the changing field of psychedelic medicine. Um, and what happened in Oregon in fall of last year is that voters um, approved a bill that will legalize psilocybin-assisted therapy um, in 2023. So clients will have access to this form of treatment. And this is a separate way of access than the traditional FDA approval method, which is another way that psychedelics will likely become available both uh, psilocybin and MDMA uh, within the next several years. But in Oregon, uh, this measure is approving this whole new form of treatment um, that the Oregon Health Authority is currently underway in designing um, this, this whole program that needs to be pretty much invented from the ground up. Do we know yet how will that work? Where will people obtain it? And then how, how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. There's still uh, a lot to be determined. And there's a board now that's working hard to figure out how this will look, how this will roll out and what it'll look like. Um, what we, what the spirit of the bill was was written to promote access uh, and, and to make it ex- as accessible to people as possible. So, you know, in the initial bill, for example, Uh, To be a facilitator, you only need a high school diploma. Uh, You will need to go through, it's it's looking like 160 hours of training, Uh, but the idea is to make it affordable and accessible to people. And so it will likely be the case that if you want to do it with someone who is more spiritually minded, you can. If you want to do it with someone who is a licensed therapist, that will be available. If you want to do it in a more like retreat setting, uh, potentially in a group, that would be another method. So the idea is to, to have a variety of different ways to access it. And so then what are the benefits? Why do people want to do this? 
Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as a therapist in Oregon uh, who provides uh, uh, therapy right now for clients who are using psychedelics on their own. So that's part of what I can do now is provide therapeutic support. What I hear from clients is they are interested in a different approach, either uh, traditional therapy or traditional medications have failed them in some way, or they're looking for um, something that's outside of a traditional medical model. Um, And so what we know from the research on psilocybin in particular is that it seems to be very helpful for treating depression and anxiety. Uh, We've just begun to really dig into this research area in the last 10 years after many decades of dormancy. So uh, it's really unclear to what extent psychedelics will be helpful for, you know, what conditions might they be most helpful for? Are there conditions that they're not as helpful for? A lot of this is still very much unknown. And it's hard to study, right? Because it's illegal in most places. So to be able to study it is quite complicated. That, that presents a little bit of an obstacle, yes. Right. And uh, it, fortunately now things, you know, there, there's so much data to support this, this, this treatment. It's not just, you know, one study here or two studies there. It's, it's a significant um, collection of these small trials that, that are consistent in their results. So there are, you know, they, there still are small trials. Again, there's still that a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, but we're just really at the beginning of this potential. And some people will really talk about this as a potential paradigm shift in mental health. Um, really, there's been no mental health, new mental health treatment that's been very different. You know, there's different types of therapy, there's different types of medication, but this is a unique combination of therapy and a substance that work together um, that we we've, we just haven't seen before in modern medicine. Right. I mean, we used psychedelics years ago, right? And then they became illegal and sort of had this taboo around them. But we've seems like we've come full circle now. People are much more open-minded about how maybe they can be helpful. Yeah, totally. So, you know, psychedelics have been used actually for thousands of years in, uh, you know, traditional cultures by indigenous people um, for healing, for growth, for various purposes. And when they were uh, introduced to the U.S. and and Western, Western countries in the 50s and 60s, there was like, there was over a thousand papers published on psychedelics Um, in the 50s and 60s. So this wasn't, again, just like an inconsequential amount of research. This was a serious movement within psychology and psychiatry that came to an abrupt halt when the drug war and drug policies that began an era of prohibition were instituted in the early 70s. And I've seen some promising research in terms of how it could treat depression, anxiety, OCD, substance abuse. Am I missing anything? Yeah, those are those are the big ones. Um, like I said, I think we we really don't have a sophisticated understanding of what they're best used for. Uh, I think one of the leading contenders is that they're best for conditions where people are stuck. Uh, so things like anxiety, where they have the same worries, the same thoughts, or depression, where they get stuck in these ways of negative thinking about themselves or about the future. Um, OCD, addiction, right? These are all kind of like disorders that involve some degree of stuckness in a habit or a behavior. And so psychedelics, 
seem to have a way of kind of blowing that up and providing this window where people can experience themselves in novel ways that then allows for um, long-term benefit, long-term change, even after the experience is over. And what kind of psychedelics are we talking about? Like you mentioned, magic mushrooms, right? Yes. MDMA, uh, what else? Yep, so magic mushrooms or psilocybin, MDMA, um, are, are big ones. LSD is studied less these days, probably because it has a longer duration and, and maybe because of its baggage. It's, you know, baggage in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the 60s and people's associations with it. Um, ayahuasca is a traditional brew uh, that comes from uh, South America where the active ingredient is DMT. That's another uh, commonly used psychedelic in the U.S., um, so these are the really the the two ones that will probably be available um, legally above ground in the U.S. are um, psilocybin and MDMA. And we're thinking, right? You guys are going to test it over there in Oregon, but the thought is it will probably uh, be widely available within a few years. We all might be using it in therapy, right? That's the thought. I think it's a big experiment, and you know the people who are on this board in in Oregon. Uh, working diligently to put this program together, understand the pressure that's on them. And in fact, they they are writing this bill or, you know, implementing this bill with the, the idea in mind that other states are going to be looking to them as an example. And if we can get this right and show this can be done, yes, I believe it will really open the doors to uh, more widespread use of this. I think there's also the potential for things to go wrong. And, and so, you know, that uh, it's, it's still up in the air, in, at least in, in my sense of understanding. Um, it's kind of an experiment. Our culture, it, you know, our modern culture doesn't really have a place for these experiences. You know, we live in a very rational, kind of more secular culture. At least that's the area of the country that I live in. Your your audience members might be from all over the country, you know. But in general, these kinds of far out experiences that can involve, you know, elements of a mystical experience or, uh, you know, weird things happen when you take magic mushrooms. Uh, you know, these are... Uh, our, our culture doesn't doesn't act, hold a place for this, but as you mentioned, you know the the um, attitudes around drugs are changing very quickly. We're seeing this with cannabis, so you know it's possible that uh, as this becomes more known and uh, widespread, that people will understand that these experiences can actually be beneficial. And what's the thoughts on why we should use them in a therapeutic session as opposed to just letting people use them recreationally? I mean, I think there's an argument for both. I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with recreational use as long as you're doing it safely and you're not, you know, harming other people. And that's one very legitimate way to use them. I think it's totally normal and, and good to have fun sometimes. Uh, well, the thing about psychedelics is that the set and setting really matter. So where you take them, who you take them with will, will really affect what kind of experience you have. So you can imagine going to a concert where you're outdoors. You know, it's going to be one type of experience uh, that we we tend to label as recreational. But using them in your therapist's office when you've been preparing for this experience and talking about it, setting intentions around it, 
um, is going to have a different experience. And, and so, uh, of course, during recreational use, people can still have therapeutic kinds of experiences, transcendent experiences. Uh, it's just that it's more it, it's more likely to occur when you sort of set it up that way. So you mentioned intentions. What are like an example of somebody's intentions when before they use? What might they decide? This is what I want to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, this the practice of setting intentions comes from you know, older cultures who had, you know, the use of psychedelics was really embedded in their whole culture. And uh, intention setting refers to going into a journey with some questions, some something that you want to look at. It could be very broad. I want to know what to do with my life. I want to know how to be a better father or be a, a, a better husband or better whatever. Um, it could be specific. I want to know what to do about this job situation or this problem that I have. Uh, it might be I just want to learn more about myself. So you can really use intention setting just to help kind of go into an experience with some uh, some degree of uh, um, organization around like what what do you want to get out of this? And uh, part of setting an intention is that when the experience starts, that you let go of that intention for the most part. You don't hold on to it rigidly and cling to it because what happens during a psychedelic session often in the moment may not seem related to your intention. Uh, it might become clear later on that it actually was very related. So if you, if you try to get too busy with directing what's happening in the moment, uh, that's really more likely when people have what are called bad, you know, commonly referred to as bad trips or distressing experiences when they're resisting whatever's happening. Okay. So if somebody sets their intention of, I want to work on my depression or I want to work on my anxiety, then to not force it when they're actually, oh, after they've used something to then not try to force it or think this isn't working or something like that? Yeah, exactly. So I might work with someone and say, you know, I, I'd want to understand, let's say, why they think they're depressed, why they think they're anxious, what are the obstacles to being wherever they want to be. And so during the experience, if that's their just broad attention, um, I'm, I'm not going to be um, involved as a therapist and being very directive in the actual journey. Um, so, you know, the way that psychedelic um, dosing sessions are conducted in the clinical trials is that the therapists are uh, very uh, non-directive or inner-directive, which means that the experience itself is is the is the treatment. Uh, therapists aren't we're not doing a lot of things that we typically do in therapy sessions. It's more about holding space, providing support, and allowing some process to unfold that is bigger than our rational minds can understand and the client's rational mind can understand. Um, it's bigger than that. And then again, often on the other side, it might make sense why, you know, if a client says, I want to work on my depression and they spend an hour thinking about their high school basketball coach, like why that's related to their depression. It may not be clear in the moment. Gotcha. So right now you aren't allowed to do uh, to do psychedelic assisted therapy, but you do work with people who use psychedelics, correct? That's correct. Yeah. The only way 
that you can access psychedelic psilocybin or MDMA is through the clinical trials. Um, ketamine is a exception to that. Ketamine is a substance that has psychedelic properties that people are using. So that is a legal alternative that there's a lot of ketamine clinics um, that are popping up around the country uh, and it's an available tool. Um, but yeah, so I what I can do is provide the preparation, the sort of intention setting, managing expectations, um, helping people use psychedelics safely, you know, before they have an experience. And then what is called psychedelic integration, uh, which refers to a series of practices or um, things that you do after to make the most out of whatever your experience was. Oh, okay. That's good stuff. So let's start with the safely. You say you help people mm-hmm. use safely. What are some of the things that help people stay safer? Yeah, so it's uh, it's helpful to know the, the 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 medicine that you're working with, like what to expect, um, to plan out how to use it. Uh, so you know, a lot of people don't don't realize that it's best to have um, a couple of days, you know, a day before where you can start to sort of minimize your responsibilities, sort of um, kind of separate from your life a little bit if that's possible, if that's practical. Um, and then arranging for things like having someone with them, uh, making sure that they're in an environment where they feel comfortable. Um, people are often curious about dose, things like that. Uh, and then making sure that on the other side of the experience that they, you know, it's best to have some time to um, to kind of settle with whatever happens. To, you know, it's best not, if it's possible, again, obviously people have busy lives, they have jobs, they have kids, but if it's possible to not not have to jump back into your life right away. So, you know, that you don't have to go to work the next morning or something like that so that you can really sit with whatever, whatever experience comes up for you. And then when you do integration therapy, when you meet with people after they have, have done this, what does that look like? Yeah, so integration is a very individualized thing, right? So it can vary widely. Um, sometimes it's just simply talking about the experience, the experience might be confusing to, to a client or maybe some challenges came up, some, some distress that, that's still lingering. Uh, psychedelics, it's good to know that psychedelics can be very challenging. People don't, you know, they may not get that message when they hear about it in popular media. So they think, oh, I just take mushrooms and I have this mystical experience and then I'm, my depression is gone. Um, psychedelics can be really good at showing us what we're avoiding in our lives, our feelings, our, uh, our experiences. Um, and I think, you know, as therapists, we're no different, right? Like I'm very good at avoiding in my own ways and I'm sure you are too, Amy. Um, and so we can get very good at like not seeing things that, uh, that psychedelics can show us. Um, and that's, can be very, um, difficult, and, and so going into that, knowing that that's a possibility. And then, of course, then whatever comes up, right, might need some support, some nurturing, some care uh, afterwards to, to help a person work through things. So, you know, uh, MDMA, for example, makes it easier for people to look at their trauma histories, their kind of processed traumas that they experienced. Um, 
the medicine really makes it easier. It's, it, fe- it feels safer to do that, uh, but it's still scary and can still involve a lot of uh, uncomfortable emotions. So anecdotally, what percentage of the people that you treat do you feel like probably benefit from, from this in some way, shape or form? That's a great question. I, I really don't know the answer to that. I think for for now, everybody's being more cautious than anything. So in the clinical trials, you know, they they don't allow people in with a history of psychosis, um, bipolar or mania, uh, personality disorders, and I think it's an open question: um, can can psychedelics be helpful for for those people? So I, I tend to think that. They, you know, they they're going to wind up being helpful for a lot of things, but I don't think they're for every person. Uh, I think, you know, for a lot of people who, for example, are um, living kind of in an unstable situation, whether that's their job or their housing, um, where there's not maybe a lot of social support. Uh, you know, doing a big a dose of psychedelics and mixing it up when things are already kind of mixed up uh, may not be the most helpful in those kinds of situations. Okay, that makes sense. And how often do people usually do it? Or is there a recommendation of how often you should use psychedelics to get the maximum benefit? Yeah, that's a that's another great question that people, people ask. And I, I would say in terms of the research, we really don't know. Uh, what's been shown in, in the typical research models is somewhere around two to three fairly decent sized doses, um, you know, a month or two apart, um, you know, with some therapy sessions in between each of those dosing sessions. Uh, if you talk to people who use psychedelics, you know, uh, on their own, um, people will say all kinds of things. I've I've talked to clients who use psychedelics once a month. They put it on their calendar, um, or people who like to use psychedelics, you know, once or twice a year or quarterly. Um, I think part of working with psychedelics when I when when clients ask me that question is I um, I encourage them to f- like feel it out and see what works in their own lives. Uh, but in terms of like uh, research informing what's the best way to use them? Like we, we still really don't know. And do we know anything about when people start mixing and matching and they're using multiple substances at the same time, whether they're drinking when they take something or they smoked marijuana two days ago, how all of that comes together? Yeah, we, we don't know a whole lot. Uh, you know, in the trials, they, um, they make sure that people are um, not not mixing, right? So they can get a good sense of what the pure effect of the psychedelic is, of course. But, um, you know, in actual use, people are using psychedelics while they're on antidepressants or they're combining psychedelics or they're using psychedelics with cannabis. And um, it, we really don't know about, about a lot of those interactions. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of antidepressants, um, there was a recent study that showed that people who recently got off of an antidepressant didn't experience as much benefit from MDMA therapy. They still benefited, but but maybe not as much overall. So that uh, this is a kind of a um, common idea that you find in psychedelic communities: this idea that antidepressants might blunt the effect of psychedelics, maybe not for everybody, but for some people. 
So a lot of people will choose to go off of their psych, their, their, their medication. And of course, I would recommend anyone listening to make sure that you only do that under the care of a licensed provider. Um, and that you talk to your provider if you're considering using psychedelics, um, how that might interact with whatever medications that you might be taking. Thank you for adding that in. We don't want anybody throwing out their antidepressant today to go try something tonight. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what are you finding out about uh, physicians? When, if somebody tells their physician, this is my plan, our physicians these days seem to be for it. And maybe it's different to in Oregon compared to mm-hmm. other places. I think it really depends on where you live. Um, you know, there's still a lot of places where stigma and, you know, myth about drugs, about psychedelics, um, misinformation is still very prevalent. You know, people still believe, for example, that LSD stays in your spine or that you could go crazy from, from taking these things. And so, you know, a lot of clients that I've worked with have shared with their provider and had negative experiences um, I had a client recently tell me they were fired from therapy because of their, they wanted to share about their use of psychedelics. Um, I've heard people, you know, have their, have their doctor, their medical doctor or their psychiatrist, um, kind of judge them for, for using them or really, um, warn them that this is really dangerous. So I think a lot of people are probably reluctant to bring it up with their provider, but thankfully, as this becomes more well-known and, and people are getting more educated, uh, the hope is that more and more providers will be able to have helpful conversations with clients that will, that will not be judging or shaming so that, that people can figure out and make a good decision about whether this is right for them or not. What are the dangers that come along with psychedelics? There are some, and it differs by different psychedelics, you know, so for example, psilocybin physically is pretty safe. There's a very small risk of what's called serotonin syndrome. Um, There's a small risk of muscular paralysis if you eat one particular species of wild mushroom. Uh, But overall, it's, it seems to be very physically safe. Um, There's not adverse events reported in the trials or or the medical literature. Um, you know, MDMA is a stimulant, so it has an amphetamine-like property. If you have underlying heart conditions like unmanaged hypertension, you know, it's probably m- more risky. Um, but used in the doses that they're using in trials, there's no risk of neurotoxicity. You know, there's again, that's part of like the myth or misinformation that, you know, if you use too much, you damage your brain. And that might be true if you're using it a hundred times, uh, you know, every weekend for a couple of years, maybe, but in using it a couple of times in the way that participants in the trials have used it, um, it, it's, it doesn't, doesn't confer that same kind of risk. So that's, again, part of preparation is helping people understand what are the risks and benefits. Of course, I mentioned, I think the, the, one of the bigger risks is a psychological risk of, of harm. Um, again, in, in a safe and supportive setting, people can meet those challenges and allow them to, um, kind of trigger a process of growth or healing. Like whenever you do something hard that winds up leading to a benefit, right? Um, but if you're using a psychedelic in an unsupportive setting, maybe with people that you don't know or trust or someplace out in public, um, and something bad happens, you know, something unexpected, and there's nobody there to sort of help you through it, 
Um, it could be traumatic. Some people have had really difficult experiences. Uh, so, you know, I do think a certain degree of um, respect and understanding is helpful. And if you're going to consider using these medicines, you know, do I encourage clients to do a bit of homework, really understand what you're getting into, not to scare them, but just to be prepared about all of the potentials so that, you know, if they do have some challenges that occur, they don't add to it with additional distress because they weren't expecting it. What are some of the best places people can do their research or how do they do their homework? Do you have suggestions for that? Yeah, there's a lot of harm reduction websites out there. Uh, there's one called arrowid.org, which is a uh, pretty exhaustive list of uh, information. Uh, there's others like Dance Safe. Um, and other kinds of uh, resources where there's articles, there's uh, people will post what are called trip reports. Um, you could read about, you know, the side effects or uh, all the kinds of different things that uh, you might want to know about. So there are helpful resources out there. Um, uh, MAPS is a good um, organization. That's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They are mostly involved in MDMA research, but that's a great website to check out because they'll have a lot of information about um, the the use of other psychedelics besides MDMA. Okay, we'll link to those in our show notes so people can can do their homework if they're interested. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned ketamine. Can you just talk a little bit more about ketamine and and what we're doing with that these days? Yeah, definitely. So ketamine. Um, has shown uh, to be effective with treatment-resistant depression. Um, however, the, one of the ways it's been most studied is in a more medical model, which means that clients go and get an IV. They don't have therapeutic support. Um, and the, the actual experience is not believed to be important in this medical model. In other words, it's believed to work just like a medicine where you just passively you know, have the medicine do its thing. Um, so that's that's the medical model usage of it. But people are also beginning to use it for what is called ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, which is the same as MDMA or psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, where there's, again, this preparation, dosing, and integration uh, package um, so that the experience itself, the psychedelic experience that ketamine can occasion, um, is believed to be therapeutic. Uh, there's not a lot of research on that model uh, yet, but a lot of people are using it because it is a legal alternative. And you know, I've met clients who reported that ketamine has been extremely helpful in working through um, their depression or anxiety. But from a research standpoint, there we still don't really have a good sense of what ketamine might be best for. And to be clear, it's only legal when it's prescribed, correct? That's correct. Yes, yes. It's a dissociative, so it, it it's not a traditional psychedelic, um, but it can have experiences or qualities uh, of experience that are similar to that of psilocybin. And what about microdosing? I hear from a lot of people that they want to just say microdose LSD or or mushrooms. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, microdosing is really popular. Um, people are using uh, very small dosages, usually of psilocybin or LSD, 
uh, on some schedule. There's different schedules out there. You know, it might be every other day or five days a week and then two days off um, for a period of time, almost just like a traditional medicine. And there's not a lot of research on this so far. Um, there have been a couple of early studies which have been a little inconclusive. Uh, but if you uh, reach out to psychedelic communities, there's a very vibrant um, uh, part of that community that is actively using microdosing. You know, in Oregon, Portland Psychedelic Society is a nonprofit that's dedicated towards education and building community. And there are microdosing, you know, meetup groups where people will go and, and try to share information. And um, people are looking for that as a, as a, a different model of using than a, a traditional way where you're you're having this kind of big psychedelic experience. And microdosing, you don't you don't necessarily notice an altered state of consciousness. As, as prevalent, as, as strongly as a, a full dose experience. And what are people using it for? What do they find it's helpful to do with? Yeah, people report all kinds of benefits. I mean, it, you really, it's the kind of thing where you could probably, anything you could think of, I'm sure you could find somebody saying, oh, microdosing helped me with that, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people report that it's helpful for things like depression and anxiety, um, some people report that it's better. It helps them sleep better. It helps them concentrate uh, more effectively. It helps them uh, want to be healthier, live a healthier lifestyle. Um, so there's there's a lot of claims out there, and 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 a lot of people really believe in in microdosing. You know, as a I'm a, a researcher um, and scientist, and and so I'm I'm really curious about what what are, what are the control trials gonna gonna show? There's a couple of them that are underway now, um, and what if microdosing is beneficial, then what's the best way to do it? Again, right now, what most people do is they experiment with different schedules and kind of just observe the effects and, and land on some schedule that works best for them. So then what would you say to somebody who says, you know, I recreationally use psychedelics every now and then or I go to the club and I take something, but it doesn't really change my life or it feels good at the time, but I'm not really seeing results. Mm -hmm. I'd say cool. Like if that's, you know, if that's, if that's, uh, you know, enhances your life, if it, you know, it's a good night out, it's fun. It's, uh, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think in our culture, we have this thing where like somehow it's bad to have fun or something. Um, so, you know, I would say that they probably aren't maybe going in with that kind of intention of a, like, I wanted to change my life. You know, if they, if that's what they're looking for, Sure, we could explore, you know, different ways to use it. Um, but uh, a lot of people have that experience with psychedelics. You know, people use it for things like just exploring their consciousness or, or yeah, or having, a, you know, a, a fun visual experience or auditory experience if they're with music. And that's, that's really all they're looking for. And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if somebody's hoping it will cure their anxiety or their OCD, taking it recreationally and occasionally might not be the answer? Yes, I would agree with that. If they're looking for some therapeutic benefit, um, likely they, they would benefit from trying to um, create a set and setting that is more um, aligned with achieving that purpose um, than, than being at. You know, it's funny, people in the trials um, who take MDMA, and, and, and so in the trials, it's mostly been for trauma, right? PTSD, 
uh, MDMA treatment for PTSD. And there was one uh, participant who made a, a some sort of comment about, you know, like they can't believe that people would dance and have fun with this because, you know, it, it was it was such a, a a profound experience to contact their 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 trauma and, and kind of process their painful emotions. Um, they couldn't believe that it could be used in this other setting um, because they had only experienced it in a in a therapeutic, you know, in a therapist's office, basically. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, are you finding people who use it recreationally or who have maybe used it uh, in a recreational setting, are they open to trying it in a therapeutic environment? Yeah, a lot of folks have had some prior experiences um, in, in recreational settings, you know, when they were younger. I think that's, you know, as a therapist, a lot of the clients who seek me out because of my expertise in psychedelics, they, um, they've had some experiences when they were younger that were you know, maybe mild or somewhat beneficial, neutral or somewhat beneficial. Um, but then they're, they're, they're now approaching it with a more focused intention, especially after reading about um, using it this way. I think a lot of people don't, you know, until they're exposed to this kind of treatment, they don't, a lot of people never thought about using psychedelics in this way before. And you offer a support group for people to come together and talk about their experiences, right? I do. Yes. I offer a psychedelic integration support group. So people who are interested in learning about, again, the safe and, you know, responsible use of psychedelics and what to expect to ask questions, um, to learn about how other people are using them, um, are welcome to join as well as people who have want to process their experiences, integrate, um, figure out how to make the most out of their, their journeys, their, uh, the insights or wisdom that they've gained. Um, I think psychedelics uh, are are best used in community rather than all by yourself. Um, so a lot of the healing I think that can come from psychedelics are when you're when you're um, using them uh, and and pro- and integrating with other people, especially people who've had experiences and can sort of understand listen, maybe offer reflection or offer their perspective on your own experience. A lot of learning can come from that. And is your support group open to anyone? If some of our listeners are interested in joining, is that available? Absolutely. Yeah. So we uh, are open to all, to people in all 50 states. Um, You're welcome to check us out and see how it, how it goes. Uh, There's no commitment necessary. We meet every other week. We'll put a link to it in our, in our show notes for sure. Is there uh, any dangers or risk for people who are using that they might get addicted to to these substances? Yeah, that question comes up a lot, and it's a great question. So far, we're not seeing that in the trials. We're not seeing a high desire to repeat. Uh, they they actually measured this with MDMA. Uh, the percentage of people who've had who then had an experience after the trial ended is very low. Um, so, you know, one way I think about it is that psychedelics. When you're taking a big dose and you're using it for a therapeutic purpose, it's a bit of an ordeal. It can be a bit of an ordeal. You know, it's kind of like this: you're processing stuff, you're you're facing things. Um, it's not necessarily necessarily something that you have a desire to. Oh, I can't wait to do that again. Um, oftentimes, people it's sort of the opposite. They they um, you know they they might need to to really. Um, uh, figure out a way to to make this part of their lives to, to benefit from it because um, 
you know, it's it again, it can have this reputation of being this sort of shortcut. I'm just going to get rid of my depression. I'm going to get rid of my anxiety. Um, but it's work. It's therapeutic work. Um, if that, if you want to use it for that purpose, um, not to say that there's not moments of beauty and transcendence and positive emotions. I think it's one of the benefits people will have is somebody who's severely depressed will feel joy for the first time in so many years, right? Um, but of course, I think with any any altered state experience, there's going to be some risk of uh, addiction. But we, as far as we can tell, it's very, very low. And I think most most therapists doing this work are not not terribly concerned about that as a risk. And do you find that sometimes people expect it to be a cure-all, that they think if I do this once or I do it occasionally, all the depression I've had, all my anxiety, everything's going to go away. My life is suddenly going to be perfect. Yes, that's definitely the case very often. You know, Michael Pollan wrote a book. He actually just wrote another book recently, but his his, his first book about psychedelics, um, How to Change Your Mind, really turned a lot of people on and, and left people with that impression. Um, I don't think, I think Michael was very clear in his book that there it's not an easy road, um, but a lot of people do have that impression um, and, and that, again, the, to speak about the importance of integration, you know, a lot of people can, I think this is one of the big lessons we learned from the 60s when people were using psychedelics in the U.S. Um, for, um, you know, for the first time on a widespread basis that people were having these transformative experiences where they were seeing things in a different way. They were having a clarity about their lives, their purpose, things like that. But then you've got to follow up with something because otherwise then you just go back into your old life and our old habits and routines and ways of thinking will, will likely slowly come back unless we continue to make some sort of change. So psychedelics can sort of open a window and show possibilities, but then there needs to be usually some follow through if we really want to make the most out of the change that happens during those couple of hours. So that makes sense. So that's where therapy comes in and can help you figure out, all right, now that you've had this moment of enlightenment or you've enjoyed this window, what are you going to do differently or how are you going to live differently? Absolutely. And and I don't think therapy is the only way, though. I think mm-hmm. therapy is one model. You know, there are a lot of people who are turned off to mental health care um, or the medical medical profession. They want to use this in a more spiritual context. Um, so there's still integration that can be done from that perspective as well. And sometimes integration involves things like I'm going to spend more time in nature or I'm going to start drawing more often or I'm going to um, try to build a, a bigger social support network. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean therapy, but again, some sort of change that will help um, carry forth um, qualities of the experience that you want to have part of your life. That That's definitely an important piece that often gets left out. It's not just a quick, oh, I have this six-hour experience and then everything's fine. Um there needs to be some attention to what what comes next. That makes sense. So for somebody who says, all right, I'm curious, uh, I'm going to learn more, I'm going to do my homework, maybe I'll join your support group too. Is there anything else that you recommend for people to get started or to figure out if this is right for them? Yeah, I, I you know, I think as you, if you're interested in this, if you're not sure to begin to do some research, you know, uh, go talk to people who've used psychedelics. Um, read some articles, watch some YouTube videos. 
and just pay attention to how it feels to engage with those resources. Um, what comes up for you? Do you feel more called to do this? Does this feel like a good idea? If there's sort of warning, like concerns or fears, you know, that can be um, part of the work in preparing as well as to, to address those. And I think, you know, again, when I work with clients who are considering using psychedelics, it's a deeply personal choice. And it's something that, you know, I recommend people take a little time to think through about whether it's right for them. And especially if it's right at this time in your life, you know, a lot of people really want to have an experience, but they've got kids or they have a job or their situation is such that it doesn't, it doesn't make, it's hard to fit into their lives now. So, uh, you know, I, I encourage folks to really think through all the pros and cons and, uh, you know, decide what's, what's best for themselves. Is there anybody that this isn't right for? Is there a group that you found or it that's probably not going to work or it's not a good choice for them to, to attempt to use psychedelics? So, you know, there, there is some evidence anecdotally that if, if there's a family history of psychosis, um, you know, some schizophrenia or other psychotic disorder that, that, that psychedelics similar to cannabis might trigger a psychotic episode in somebody who hasn't had one. Um, and, you know, if there's a history of mania, there might be that potential as well. Um, so, but then, you know, again, you'll find people who, who do have those histories who do use psychedelics. So we don't really understand that risk greatly. But I would say if there is a family history of those things, um, proceed with a little more caution um, and, and, and know that that's a potential risk as, as you move forward. That makes sense. Well, Brian Pilecki, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast and giving us all this information and letting me know personally what, what's coming down the road in Oregon, because it'll be interesting for us to follow and see what happens. Sure thing. It was great to be here. Thank you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I break down my guest strategies and share how you might apply them to your own life. If you're interested in psychedelics, here are two of the things Brian suggests that you might find useful in your own life. Number one, educate yourself. Brian offered a whole bunch of really good resources about how to learn about psychedelics, and we'll link to those on the Very Well Mind show notes page. It's important to know what you're using and to learn more about the effects it has on your brain. You should be aware of the potential risks and benefits, and you'll want to know that the information you're getting is from a trusted source. The research is still emerging, but studies look promising. Just keep in mind that using psychedelics recreationally is illegal and they might not give you the same therapeutic benefits. And number two, join a support group. Brian hosts a support group for anyone who wants to talk about their psychedelic use in a non-judgmental forum. If you'd like to hear about other people's experiences and perhaps even share your own, sign up. It could help you learn more about what other people are doing and perhaps give you more insight into your own experiences. I'll put a link to the support group on the Very Well Mind website on Brian's episode page so you can see how to sign up. So if you're interested in psychedelics and how they might affect mental health, those are two good steps you can take right now. Educate yourself and join a support group. And stay tuned. It looks like we're likely to see them being prescribed in the therapy office soon. If you want to learn more about Brian's work, check out Portland Psychotherapy. You can even schedule an online appointment with him to talk about psychedelics or any other therapy issue. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. 
If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.